Welcome to Vinyasa in Verse, the podcast where we connect mind, body, and spirit through poetry and practice. I'm Leslie Ann Hobayan. Together, we'll explore different ways of connecting with our innermost selves and how to tap into the flow of the universe. Because once that happens, anything is possible. Your best life starts now. Hello, loves. Welcome to another episode of Vinyasa in Verse. How are you on this beautiful day? Um, I'm so excited about today's episode. I get to welcome a very special friend and guest. She is a writer, a poet. She is an editor of all things. Um, She does have an official book that she edited called Dear Sister, Letters from Survivors of Sexual Violence, which is amazing. Um, She's also a senior features editor at The Rumpus and a contributing editor at Catapult. And for those of you who are not literary people, this probably means nothing to you, but it's just really cool. But she's also, and this is this is why she's on um, the show, is that she's working on this memoir right now. And I took a quote, Lisa, I'll, I said your name before I properly introduced you. But um, I took this quote from um, from something that I that I read now. I can't remember where it's at, but you'll you'll tell me later. It's um, this book you said is is writing into the layers of your personal transformation about gender violence, healthcare, abortion, and spirituality. And I'm really curious about how that's all coming together. Um, so anyway, welcome to the show, Lisa Factor Borchers. Yay! Oh my goodness! <laughs> welcome, so welcome. Much. I'm so glad you're here. I love. Um, doing this stuff. I love talking to my friends, <laughs> to my people, <laughs> and just exploring um, all the different ways that writing and spirituality show up in our lives um, and sharing that with people. So hopefully that they can find, you know, their own way of navigating through through all this business. But um, yeah, Thank you for having me. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, this is so exciting. Okay, so we're going to start with the roulette of yes. poetry. Which is so funny because I'm like, do the same poems keep coming up because they're really like dog eared? (laughs) (laughs) But let's see what this. Ooh, this one's cool. This is called The Warrior. The warriors tame the beasts in their past so that the knight's hoofs can no longer break the jeweled vision in the heart. The intelligent and the brave open every closet in the future and evict all the mind's ghosts who have the bad habit of throwing up everywhere. For a long time, the universe has been germinating in your spine, but only a saint has the talent, the courage to slay the past giant, the future anxieties. The warrior sits wisely in a circle with other men, gathering the strength to unmask himself, then sits giving like a great illumined planet on the earth. Mm. There's a lot of stuff in that one. <laughs> That's a lot. So you don't have to like translate it for us, but what stands out for you? Like what speaks to you most in that poem? Oh, usually when I hear or listen to a poem, and I'm not saying to do this, I usually listen to it twice mm. or I read it twice. Yeah. Um, kind of like Lexio Divina, um, the practice of listening and then choosing one thing and then mindfully exploring it. But I think on an initial take, I think what was really powerful um, were two things. Um, the imagery was, you know, pretty spectacular and detailed, but Specifically, I think there was a part of something germinating in the spine, mm-hmm. something germinating in the spine, um, which I've, I love meditating on um, bones and parts of the body oh. um, and the capability of memory to be embedded in our bodies. Um, that really stood out to me. Like what could, what does germinate in the spine? What could possibly be germinating in my spine. Um, yeah. I think that's really intense. Um, and also the ending, the imagery, um, I will uh, mindfully switch out unmasking um, the warrior men's circle and be a bit more gender inclusive. But well, it's so funny. End- I was like, do I just switch it to women? Uh, <laughs> 
No, in my head, I wanted to switch it. <laughs> I, you know, I'm so used to, to flipping and, and expanding yeah. um, uh, gendered language. But um, yeah, I, I think that the, the really beautiful um, word unmasking, mm. um, you know, in the imagery of being done in a circle where a person is listening or in company and community, um, you know, the warrior not being positioned on a battlefield with, um, you know, the usual artillery. Right. You know, there's something really beautiful about the unmasking as opposed to being armed. Um, those are the two things that really, those two images are really powerful for me. Yeah, yeah. And as you're talking, I'm kind of getting chills because I'm thinking about um, how you how you hinged on unmask. And I, and I feel like that's what we do as writers, you know, mm-hmm. and I feel like that's particularly relevant to the work that you're doing now with this, with this memoir. Um, it seems like, I mean, this idea mm-hmm. of, um, you know, I, in my previous, uh, my previous guest, we talked a little bit about identity and <clears throat> with this pandemic, a lot of people's identities have been stripped away because, we construct these identities based on like whatever our job is or, um, you know, whoever we interact with. And when you're stuck at home, you know, quarantined and, and you can't do your job because, you know, for safety issues and, and all the other reasons, um, what happens to your identity? And so in a way, this could be seen as a way of unmasking and seeing how who we really are isn't determined by these external things. So I don't, I mean, I just said a whole bunch of different things that I'm wondering if you could speak to either the idea of this current moment in time of this idea of unmasking and how that might relate to the work that you're doing now, or just even about the work that you're doing now, as far as the Mm -hmm. memoir is concerned. Oh, there is a lot there. I think absolutely right on um, with the the unmasking or the stripping away um, element of the pandemic is very painful and also um, an opportunity. And I, I really don't like the language of embedding the word opportunity inside, you know, so much suffering right. and um, so much sorrow. But uh, there is an opportunity, I think, for everybody to really turn inward when so much has been forcibly stripped away. Um, Can I interrupt for a second? I just thought of a word instead of opportunity, maybe an invitation. Invitation is the word. Thank you. Yeah. The invitation. Yeah. That is precisely the word. It is the invitation to look at what remains. Um, I speak specifically, like, you know, as a parent where, you know, there's nothing external that's driving your time. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is nothing calling your children to be anywhere else except home. There's nothing calling you to respond to errands, to um, you must drive your child, drop them off, pick them up here, like all of that stuff. stuff. And it, I don't know for me, because I've worked from home for a number of years. um, It was really difficult uh, to balance first the the heavy weight of all of the children being at home mm-hmm. and being able to provide and feeling like my identity was suddenly out of balance because I depend so heavily on school and uh, child providers, child care providers, um, to free me up to work. Right. Um, my writing and reading and all of that stuff. And I felt like it swung in the other direction. And in the beginning of the quarantine, I was really resentful and invitation or not. I was really resistant and really upset because I couldn't get anything done until, you know, probably a few weeks into it. And I really settled into, you know, what, what is this? You know, what is this for me? And, um, I began forging a particular kind of bond with my kids. Um, there was something that I think in early motherhood, I didn't want to 
um, I, I didn't want to be the kind of mother that didn't have anything else. And I was always afraid that that's who I was going to morph into. Oh my God. I had the same fear. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that I just looked very closely at that fear. What is that mm-hmm. fear of being known mm-hmm. or seen quote only as right. a mother? Um, and once I really decided to look into that, um, the fear kind of began to dissipate. And my connection and ability to connect with my children um, strengthened. Mm. And um, I just started to relax because no one's watching. No one's looking at my quarantine house. You know, no one's, right. no one cares. <laughs> no one cares. It is just me being very vigilant and hypervigilant around my identity. I think because, I don't know if this resonates with you, Leslie Ann, but I think as a Filipino-American, I've always been hypersensitive about my identity mm-hmm. um, and being defensive around space and time um, and being known for who I am and fighting against stereotype and pushing back against um, any kind of uh, racial stereotype. Any kind of box, really. You any know. kind of box. I'm yeah. just like, well, if you don't know me, then, you know, I, I'm resisting that, you know, like, right. I, I want to be known for me. Right. Um, right. I don't want to be known as a mom. Exactly. I'm, I'm more than that. I'm more than right. That. And, right. Right. Um, you know, well, I, well, then I just start thinking, you know, what kind of, what kind of defense, <laughs> what kind of defense is that? I don't want right. to be known just as a mom. I'm more than that. I'm like, right. Of course we're all more than that. Right. Of course we are. Right. Um, so, Ooh, I feel like I like kind of went off there, but, um, okay. well, no, I, I mean, I get it. There's a lot, there's a lot of layers. And the, and the thing is, it's, it's, it's like why, you know, be pre quarantine, there's been this, I guess, pressure, whether it's from ourselves or from the outside world to choose that there wasn't a room for the end, you know, like I can be a mother and a writer and a poet and an editor and all these other things where we, I don't know about you, but I had this fear. This was when my kids were little. Now I'm like, kind of, I'm over it. But when they were babies, I was like, okay, I'm going to be the mom who's not the mom. You yes. know? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> mom and title, but you know. Right, right. Things too. Right, right. And I think, you know, I think that's the way in which, you know, I can only speak for myself. You know, I've, I'm constantly unlearning and um, looking at the ways that I've absorbed um those particular kinds of boxes, you know, being so intensely afraid of them means to some extent you've accepted them or you've internalized them at some level. Right. Um, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with just saying, you know, during this pandemic right now, the majority of my time I have, I've just been really present as a mother. Um, but strangely, um, a lot of breakthroughs mentally have come with my book because of this kind of like release of, you know, I need to just chill out and, you know, look at the bigger picture here. And once I kind of started that practice to mentally let go of this anxiety around producing um, as a means of defense, um, a lot of creative breakthroughs came in. Yeah. Yeah. So what, so it sounds to me, it was more of a, a relaxation of just everything so that that creative flow can, can come in. Well, I had to let go of the expectations too, because I I think like a lot of parents, a lot of working moms, especially you, I think um, prior to quarantine, I wouldn't have said that I run on a schedule or I, you know, I heavily depend on routine, but because of quarantine, I'm looking back, I absolutely had set up my work life balance and, you know, the schedule of my book for life to continue, you know, as I had predicted it would be in January, you know, like, January one seems like a joke. Like all those things that I said I was going to do by now. I saw a meme recently. It was like, throw the vision board out the window. Yeah. I'm like, I need to redo my vision board um, because time is now not time. And I had to let go of, you know, all of those things that um, I said that I was going to do. And that's okay. That is entirely okay. Yeah. And all the things that I want and want to um, progress into, you know, they're still going to be there. Yeah. Yeah. It's just going to look different from what we imagined it to be. 
Um, but how, so how is your spirituality, um, playing a role in all of this? Oh my. So that's such a big question. I, my spirituality, um, has just, I feel like after I turned 40, took a radical turn. Mm. Um, I've, I've always been interested, um, in spirituality. I, am Catholic. I'm a feminist. I also am just deeply committed to understanding the intersection of those two things. Um, but I felt like after I turned 40, I felt, um, this really like deep inward, not a call, but maybe an invitation <laughs> to use your word. Mm. Maybe it was this, this deeper invitation to really, um, shift into mindfulness, centering prayer, um, and more like this wordless way of, of being in the world, you know, which is an interesting thing to say as a writer, I invest heavily in language, but when it comes to spirituality, I just started to create more space for the things that there are no words for and to really, really look at what it means to have a conscience um, what is my conscience in the world? How do I hear divine calling? How do I hear divinity in my life? Um, and paying much, much, much closer attention to what is coming through my body. Mm. Um, all of those practices, all of it, anytime that I feed my practice to be open, to be supple, to be porous, it absolutely correlates to my writing as well. Mm. It's all one. So um, anything that I try, you know, whether it's, you know, doing a different yoga flow or if it is just investing in the silence, you know, just meditating by a candle or just taking the time to seek out a new, just something new, it always has a benefit. It always does. And um, I stopped trying to separate the spiritual from the corporeal. Mm. I stopped trying to think, well, you know, this book is really about like this, but it's not really about my spirituality. And I don't want to be known, you know. Oh, there we go again. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I don't want to end up, you know, in, in some, you know, argument about, what genre is it? Is it spirituality or is it around, you know, feminist liberation? Like it's about all of it. Yeah. Yeah. So the spirituality I've learned, um, in the past year to center that and to let go of my fear of what it could mean quotes, you know, what does this mean? And just relax and surrender into just following it. Yeah. That's really beautiful because I know that, um, coming from a Catholic upbringing, you know, myself, there's a lot of doctrine. There's a lot of rules. There's a lot of like, you know, like if you stray from these rules, you're not really a Catholic or, you know, and it's, we won't get into that whole religion conversation, (laughs) but I, I think what's beautiful is that you've been able to shift away from that into the essence of what, what spirituality really is about you know it's about the listening the deep listening um and I want to hear more about this um recognition that the spiritual and the corporal are not disconnected that they are the same they are they're linked so how is that how are you experiencing that how do you see it in your body and and in, in your spirit and mind I think it, it, I think if I look back over my life, knowing what I know now, I can see that, um, I never ignored my body. I was always paying attention to it. I think over, you know, the years and decades, I've taken better care of my body in in many different ways of where I've learned to be gentle with myself to, you know, expel any kind of, um, fat phobia, to reimagine what health and wellness looks like physically and mentally. I've done a lot of work there. But I think there was just something a few years ago um, 
in which I could not get rid of a shoulder pain and it was significant and I did not want to acknowledge it. Um, I think just my first initial thought was, you know, it'll get better. I don't need to pay attention to every little thing, but it persisted. And I, I, I just, I could, I got to a point where I couldn't lift my left shoulder. Like I, I couldn't rotate it fully. And my dad was like, you know, I was with my dad and he was like, what's up with your shoulder? <laughs> like, why can't, you know, he was handing me something and I couldn't lift my arm all the way up to receive it. And it pushed me to um, seek out a friend who's an herbalist, who is just much more um, focused on, you know, the connection between um, the spirit and the body. And she was working on my arm. And afterward, I was, you know, I was very like pragmatic, like, so what do I need to do here? You know, do I need to drink something? You right, know, right. Give me some supplements. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> tell me, you know, what's the first What's the remedy? Yes. And she was just like, you have a blockage. There's something significant and it's on your left side. That's your feminine side. I'm like, what language are you speaking to me? <laughs> like, I, you know, I'm a pretty spiritual person. I don't know what you're talking about. My left side, my right side and my blocks. I'm like, Ooh, girl, I don't know what you're saying, but if it helps my left shoulder get better, I'm open. And that began a, a very particular kind of journey into mm. really understanding what was it um, that was that was really harming my body. And it was it was it was around a, a, a particular wound that um, I'd been holding on to for a couple years that for whatever reason it manifested in the rotation of my shoulder, it was so painful and I just ignored it almost for almost a year. And ever since then, I have just been able to more just deeply and more respectfully, you know, look at my body. It is always trying to tell me something. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't I listen? And the more that I listened and the more I was able to respect that connection and really really learn how to more deeply listen without fear, without judgment, without running to like, give me the remedy. I just want to be well. I just want to be perfect. I just want to be, you know, pain-free, pain-free. Um, the more that I could heal from that and the more that I could grow out of that, just, it it was just so abundantly clear that they're linked. Yeah. Yeah. So what did you do once you identified that wound what did you do to help release that? And what happened with your shoulder? Like, did I you do any rituals? Did you do prayers? Yeah, like, what did you do? I, I wrote about it. Mm. I said something to my writing coach. I had a writing coach at the time, and I was stuck um, writing about this particular chapter. And every time I tried to write about this particular time in my life, um, it was a very painful lesson a very, very painful lesson about boundaries, about motherhood, about my work, um, about, oh, feminism. It was a, it was a deep wound and it was a deep lesson. And my writing coach just said, you need to write into that. Mm. You need to write it. You you need to say the thing. You need to say the thing, capital T, the thing. Yeah. Yeah. And the more that I wrote it, and I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I cried every time that I tried to write it. Yeah. Like I would pause move to the side of the room and literally bend over and weep. It was so hard to face myself Mm. um, and to face shame. It really was difficult to name this particular shame that I experienced. And the more that I wrote into it and I was trying not to be, but, but it was also cathartic. And every time that I went back into a different draft, you know, I, I wrote a note to myself in the margins. This is painful and honor that you are crying as you're writing this. Do not forget that. Yeah. Like that is, that was a enormous part of my healing was to get into a practice of identifying, um, the spiritual element of shame, Mm. of the, you know, 
it has ramifications for me. Yeah. And um, once I was able to really lean into it and look at it, um, I'm still working on that chapter, but I, I do not have to take weeping breaks. Um, and I feel much more clear and strong about what I want to say. Mm. And so that was my particular way of moving into a practice of um, I meditated, I did yoga, I, I held different positions just to move it like into the forefront so I could see like, what is this? What is this shame? What is this belief that um, I need to wrestle with? And then I could write about it. Yeah, yeah. And I want to say that that physical part is a really important component of that. Because, you know, going back to spirituality and, and the body being linked, it's almost like how, how would you be able to write about it if you didn't also do physical movements? You know, I mm-hmm. mean, you could probably like chip away at at whatever the block is through writing and little by little. And then maybe like 10 years from now, you'd finally <laughs> release it. But it does help yeah. to to move the body and assist in moving that block. Um, so did you do like yin poses and things like that? I'm just curious. So I'm still very early on in my yoga language. So I I do a, a very simple flow, and I will be totally transparent. I don't know the names for it. Yeah. yeah. No, yin is just a pose. It's a kind of yoga where you hold the poses, and then you sink into it. So it's, it's really supported. Oh, my God, you have to try it. Because what it does is that, so for example, um, what's one that I hate? Um, there are hip openers, right? So for mm-hmm. example, you know, like Eagle, not Eagle, Pigeon Pose, they, yes. they will position you with props, right? Where you're in position and then you will hold the, you'll hold that pose for like three minutes at a time, but you're not, your muscles aren't like clenching and it's really just allowing gravity to sink your body into that shape. And then everything starts to melt and move, but it's not exactly the most comfortable but it helps in terms of moving blocks and, and getting things flowing. So you might want to try that. I don't know. <laughs> I will. Yeah. That's really beautiful, actually. You might start crying. I'll just warn you now. Oh, my gosh. I've cried during it for sure. I mean, I, I think that I have a, a very basic um, flow, and I've been doing it um, probably on and off since, like, 2006. Mm. A long time to have the same flow. But. Um, I do it in the mornings and, uh, during, just during certain poses, I, I, I don't know what, what, the, what the term would be, but yeah, there's some of them I can just feel, you know, tightness and I'll just stay there for a second and yeah. just hold it. Yeah. Um, and then I, I have like a word or something that just comes through me oh, that's um, awesome. and I'll see, I'll see something that I didn't mm. see before. Mm. And Instead of like running to like write it down, I've developed a newer practice of like trusting that my mind and body will remember it. Yes. I don't have to like grasp and like be afraid. It'll come. Yeah. And it manifests, you know, into, um, it just manifests, you know, in a different way in my body. I can just feel it when something comes to me during um, a practice, during a flow. And then it'll be hours later that I'll sit down to write and it's there. Yeah. And I remember. Oh, that's so good. It's so good because so there's a there's a few things that I'm hearing is that in addition to this joining of spirituality and and the body and and seeing that the body is communicating with you, with us, with all of us. You know, the body mm-hmm. the body never lies. The body's like, yeah. you know what? You can lie to yourself. But I am going to tell you the truth and I'm going to keep telling it until you like face it. Otherwise, you're going to have a frozen shoulder for the rest of your life. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I'm like, I can't go through the rest of my life. You know, and, and I still I remember specifically around um, this was a time when Rosie, my, my, my youngest daughter, you know, she was still in diapers and I couldn't lift the diaper bag. <laughs> Oh man, and it was really bad. And I'm like, no, it's fine. It'll get better. It'll yeah. get better. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'll just put I a bunch know. of Ben Gay on it. It'll be fine. Yeah, <laughs> like my my right shoulder was doing all the work. I had like a bicep. It was so great, but my left it was like just so limp and hanging. Anyway, <laughs> but so um, I think one point that I wanted to say, which is really interesting, 
um, around the connection of, of the body and spirituality uh, and its impact on my writing, I think one of the things that I realized um, is I've been writing a long time. I've been writing since I was like seven, but, you know, really, really writing, you know, and mindfully putting together a manuscript and, uh, you know, hard level editorial work going into it. I think, unfortunately, somebody can become really skilled at writing that doesn't go deeper. Mm-hmm. And I think if I looked at my past writing and previous drafts, you know, of this very book, um, I got really good at writing well around something. Oh yeah. And the feedback was always great. Yes. But I didn't, <laughs> people were like, why aren't you publishing? You know, we should publish more. I'm like, because I know it's not good. It's not at all anywhere near the X mark on the map. Yeah. I'm really good at seeing where the X is of where I need to go. And I go around it. Mm. So you've got the uh, linguistic gymnastics down pat, hey? <laughs> <laughs> I'll just talk about this and not that. <laughs> right, and right. For it to be, you know, real. It has to be that. Oh, look, there's the a squirrel. <laughs> yeah. Go chase the squirrel instead. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, I'm, what I'm also hearing, though, is, and that I, I want to highlight, is that there's this self-trust, um, which I think is so important uh, for a lot of people. We forget that we have it within us to have our own backs. Right. We we forget. Mm-hmm. And, and and particularly as women of color and and, you know, I don't know about you, but daughter of immigrants, you know, it's it's yeah. this it's this um, conditioned thinking where, you know, we forget that we have the power to, you know, hold ourselves, the power to trust that whatever comes to mind will be there later for us when we sit down to write, mm-hmm. um, to trust that our body is telling us things when other people are saying, no, 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 don't pay attention to, to that, you know, because that's just your body aches. We'll just drug it up or whatever. Um, yeah. so that, that's a really important thing. I think that is right on like the, and the point, especially about the difficulty. I can only speak from my experience, but I, I would assume that this is true for a lot of children of immigrants, or daughters, particularly mm. oh, yeah. Filipino daughters yeah. of immigrants, the word trust is very loaded mm-hmm. um, because I wasn't raised, you know, to go trust your body. I was never told, you know, your body never lies. Like that was not no. what was taught to me. And no one even tells you about the body. Not. You don't know anything about the body. You know what I mean? It's yes. like this just happens. You don't know anything about sex till much later. Don't even think about your sexuality, you know, don't, you know, it's later, you know, right. later, later, later. Right. And, um, you know, later never came. Like you have to go out and get your later. If right. You really want to understand your body. And trust was very, very difficult. And I think after, you know, so much messaging that you're on your own in some ways, you know, mm. you have to learn about things for yourself. I, I always felt like I had to pioneer my own learning. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think that was part of, you know, the hopscotch that you have to do in life. Um, when you're when you're from an immigrant family, you you straddle so many different worlds that trust is really difficult to forge of when you're so used to working oh, yeah. and you're so used to that labor of building your identity and finding, you know, real scaffolding that's going to fe- make you feel safe. Right. Um, and I think that for me, a spiritual shift had to move from the scaffolding of knowing and certainty and being safe into trusting what you cannot see. And there is within that trust, there are some things that you, that do not have language. You have to know it through your being. You have to know it through your senses. It's a whole different level of, of knowing. And that just took me a long while to really understand. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's because there's layers and layers of these, this conditioned thinking, you know, like, Growing mm-hmm. up Catholic, it's like, yeah, you got to believe that there's a God, right? But if you don't believe, then you're not Catholic. You know, it's like there's these, mm-hmm. there's, there's this scaffolding of the Catholic doctrine, and it's so funny because I, I'm a practicing Catholic, and but it's a weird version of Catholicism where you mm-hmm. know I am also a feminist, but if, if you know, like the hardcore, you know, let's say fundamental Catholics knew 
about my way of practicing Catholicism, they it would be blasphemy, right? But of course. <laughs> but it but it's interesting to think about the scaffolding of Catholicism and now shifting into this understanding of spirituality where the the essence of that religion is there for me and it sounds like is there for you but minus these these expectations that held us in fear you know like yes. if you sin you're going to hell you know mm-hmm. um and you know if we go back to the origin of that word sin it was used in archery and it just meant to miss the mark it didn't mean that you were a bad person you know but the language took on a life of its own. Um, mm-hmm. and so, a very controlled language yeah. to instill a particular kind of obedience and order and, um, you know, to rouse a certain kind of woman, yeah. to rouse a certain kind of behavior and a particular kind of suppression. And I, I'm with you. I, I still identify as Catholic, and this book is really pushing me um, in very uncomfortable ways. Um, to be more outspoken and to say it out loud of these are my beliefs. And yes, I'm still Catholic. I, I still go to church. I still, I believe in the sacramentality, um, of everything around me and the, the essence of so much of my belief system of my spirituality. I heard it through the Catholic church. I mean, that was the first language of faith that I heard. And Mm so I, why would I deny that now? And um, I know, I mean, I used to work as a <laughs> pastoral minister. I used to work in a lot of, you know, systematic Catholic walls. And it was, it's pretty difficult. Yeah. Yeah. But, I can only imagine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, like, a, that's an enormous part of it of um my narrative but um, yeah yeah i yeah. think you and i should just start our own like branch of catholicism <laughs> they'll love that <laughs> the feminist catholic we're pro-choice <laughs> oh man um so yeah so i i i just oh i just love all all the things that um that you've mentioned and i'm i'm sort of like mentally piecing it together and wondering like, how are you, how are you teaching your kids, um, spirituality, particularly in relationship to the fact that we're in quarantine and living in a, in a a period of unknown uncertainty, like Mm -hmm. no one can plan their summer vacation. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, so, so what, what, what are you doing? I guess, as a, as a mom, not to, you know, box you in. No, just kidding. Um, I'm teasing. Um, you know, as far as like giving them tools to navigate whatever's going on outside of our homes. I think that there's a practical component. Um, I'm still doing it in quarantine, but even pre quarantine is, um, I check in with my life partner a lot around this topic of how we are moving forward with Catholicism with our children. Mm. Um, Pre-quarantine, after we moved from New York to Ohio, we did a lot of searching of where we would uh, publicly worship, you know, where we would be in community and uh, looked at their children's programs, you know, and we took our time. We were not in a rush because I wanted I wanted something um, that I that could give me good clay, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm, I wasn't looking for, you know, a perfect match. I just wasn't looking for the kind of worship experience or children's education programs that was going to lead with fear. Mm. And if I could find that kind of clay, I knew that I could construct an adapted form of family beliefs and practice Mm -hmm. because there's so much that is rich and right about what the church is and the theology. Um, But since quarantine and we have, you know, moved to this, you know, 
television living room sense of mass and there, there's the absence of physical community. Um, we're really lucky that we've, we have many people of faith in our lives and we found a service that we really like. Um, and I rely heavily on the senses. We, we live, you know, in a place where we have a backyard, we can go out, we can see green, we can smell. And I just rely heavily on the senses and I just always, you know, try to create that pathway mentally and spiritually for them, that everything within your senses that brings you wonder and joy is from Mm. God. Mm. Very, very basic beginning there because your senses, you know, they will always be your primary investigators of finding God. And before the language develops, you know, before that they can say who or what God is to them, I want to embed like crystallized senses that they can smell something. I'm like, how do you think that got there? You know, it's, mm. it's science and the divinity, you know, and making sure that they have those two things forged in their young minds and in their bodies, that science and divinity are not at odds with each other. Mm. Uh, I try to point out the details of wonder of look at this, like, look how intricate doesn't this look like a painting? Doesn't this look like a masterpiece? Doesn't this look like a work of art? You know, when we watch that, we have, you know, access to the sky. We can see these explosions of color. Mm. Uh, Or if it's not, you know, I I just try to talk into the detail of the truth of what they're seeing. If it's raining and it's cloudy, we talk about climate change then. And, you know, we talk about just like, you know, um, why do you think we're having such erratic weather patterns? Like today it is like literally going to be 23 yesterday it was almost 70. Um, you know, we have access to things in which there are lessons that are deeply embedded. If you just take time and ask very simple questions and I'm hoping that the practice of that, I hope over the course of the lives that that's what they'll remember. That's how we spent quarantine was out these small, but truthful details that God is, is with us that the sense of divinity is keeping us together, mm. but always we have to be mindful of everybody else, the bigger picture. Yeah. Um, so I think that there is plenty to do as a mother and, and pointing out, you know, endlessly both that there is wonder, there's joy, there's color, you know, in our food, talking about who harvested this food. How did mm. it get to this table? How yeah. did we get to cook it and enjoy it? And where are those people? Yeah. Where are they located in the world? What is this for them? Um, and trying to like massage that connection so that they get it. Um, and I'm hoping that repetition will pay off. Yeah, that's a that's a really um, beautiful way of introducing spirituality without calling it that. You know, it's just it's just being. Mm-hmm. It's like you're focusing on them being in the world, like physically. And it sounds like you know your own evolution into this connection of spirit and body is showing up in your parenting because you're focusing on the senses and that's something kids understand right away. Absolutely. And that's the best way I think, um, for them to get access to some, to things that sometimes are just too heady for them, you know, where it's like, God is everywhere. Well, what the hell does that mean? You know, God is in you. Is he really, you know, like where I don't see him. Um, so I think that's that's a really beautiful way of approaching it. And I might have to steal that from you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I don't I don't know what what works for other people. But one thing that I started doing, you know, almost right after I gave birth and we began going to church. So this was, you know, over a decade ago. And it might sound really small, but it is important to me. And I I hope to develop like a sensory memory in my children is that when we do attend, you know, mass, that sometimes, you know, there are things that are said that, you know, I don't agree with, you know, but I'm not going to stand up, you know, in the middle of a service and say, actually, in a feminist biblical interpretation, there are other ways. I want to see that happen when it does. Yeah. I'm not going to be, you know, the loud advocate in that context, but in that moment, um, and throughout services, I'm always holding my children. I always have an arm around them. Mm-hmm. I'm always holding them, you know, 
and you know they automatically know their 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 heads tilt they have this sense like i am with them i am touching them like they feel my skin mm-hmm. as they hear things and i don't know i again this is one of those wordless you know there's yeah. no explanation i couldn't tell you or anyone that's listening this is what's going on right. but there is something i feel compelled um to do when they are, you know, in these formative years, listening to these timeless parables, um, and they're listening to one human interpretation, that my physical presence is embedded on their skin, on their souls, that even like after I die, that I'm with them. Yeah. And that within me, as their mother, like God is in with me. So they are going to experience that literal presence Mm. as I can be. Um, and I just hope to embed those memories that like any time that they were in church that like, I just remember my mom was always had her arm around me or holding Mm. me like the image of being held Mm. in the context of a church that I've had so much conflict with is very important to me as a mother. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, um, that's really important because I was thinking as you were talking about, People who are in the hospital, you know, isolated um, and not able to see family and to be like deprived of touch, of human touch Mm. and how, you know, how important that is. Um, And I'm just thinking and hoping that that maybe those folks have that kind of had that kind of experience if they went to church, you know, that their family member was. holding them or, you know, had a hand on their knee or something. Um, and so I, I don't know. I mean, that's just something I don't have a question or a point to say other than that is something I, I'm thinking about as far as how important our bodies are mm-hmm. um, and how important human contact is. Um, and I feel like this moment now is just amplifying that because a lot of us, you know, we run around and do our errands and keep go, go, go and sleep deprived, Mm -hmm. you know, and we live in a country that wants to medicate every problem that we have so that Mm -hmm. we're numbed out and we don't even pay attention to what our bodies are doing. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think, I don't know, I think that this is a really great moment for us to create that awareness about bodies, about our physical presence and physical existence. Mm-hmm. Um, which circles back to, you know, what you were talking about as far as these, these connections of the, the not seen and the seen, the not mm-hmm. physical, the intangible and the physical. Mm-hmm. Oh, so good. I love talking mm. to you. You're so awesome. <laughs> You're awesome. Oh, Thank you. Yeah. So Thank I really you. appreciate you sharing your time with me. Um, and I just loved hearing I mean, especially hearing about this, this connection of physical with spiritual, because it's, it's something I think is only now coming forward into full view. Um, Mm -hmm. Because, you know, a lot of people, they're like, oh, you know, my hip is killing me. And yoga teachers are like, well, that's where you hold your emotions. Oh, no, Mm -hmm. no, no. It's just from like, you know, something else. Um, Until we do that, that deep inner work and that really Mm -hmm. looking at ourselves. Um, So thank you for sharing your, your experiences with us. Um, So do you have a poem that you would like to share? I do. Um, So there is no title for this, but this is by uh, Joy Harjo. Um, I (laughs) I love Joy's work. And uh, she was, I believe, the Poet Laureate of 2019. Um, So if anyone doesn't know her work, she has an incredible body of uh, poetry that I find. I think she is just a vessel. Mm, Yes. (laughs) Um, So I picked this one to share. To pray, you open your whole self to sky, to earth, to sun, to moon, to one whole voice that is you and know there is more that you can't see, can't hear, can't know, except in moments steadily growing and in languages 
that aren't always sound, but other circles of motion, like Eagle that Sunday morning over Salt River. Circled in blue sky, in wind, swept our hearts clean with sacred wings. We see you, see ourselves, and know that we must take the utmost care and kindness in all things. Breathe in, knowing we are made of all this, and breathe, knowing we are truly blessed because we were born and die soon within a true circle of motion, like eagle rounding out the morning inside us. We pray that it will be done in beauty, in beauty. That's so beautiful and totally connected with what we talked about. I know. Oh, I love that. Amazing. I love when that happens. Oh, because I mean, particularly the the language that can't be that had no words that has no language. You know, just mm-hmm. that. Oh, so good, so good. All right, my friend. Oh, this is so beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing your time with me. Thank you. I really appreciate Thank you for inviting it. me. Yeah. All right, listeners. And so we close the episode with our closing phrase. The divine light in me bows to the divine light in you. Namaste. Until next time. Are you feeling overwhelmed or extra sensitive? Looking for a little relief to relax your grip? Follow me on Instagram where I offer guidance every Friday with Fabulous Fire Fridays. Using oracle cards and writing prompts that invite you to explore more deeply the ways in which you experience the world. Wouldn't you like a better understanding of the source of your thought patterns and how to revise them into stories that lift you up? Check out my posts every Friday and join in on the conversation. You can follow me at Surya Gyan Yogi to get all the goodness. Or go to my website, suryagyan.com. I'll see you there. Live your best life now.